you can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real can i ask you a quick question let's hear it are you like positioned in the middle of your bedroom right now no well not i guess my bedroom's not very big a simple yes would suffice I'm, like, generally in the middle of my bedroom. Good, because nobody puts Ballard in a corner. Welcome to Be Real, your film reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Sullivan Pfeiffer, and covering his mouth, because he sort of approves of that. It was a long walk. It's Noah Ballard. What's up, buddy? Hey, pal. How are you? That was a good one. Thank you. You really really got me there. All our new intros will be pranks. That's good. I, li- I don't mind a good prank. I thought you were going to say, like, the sound quality is usually better when you're one inch closer to your dresser or something. <laughs> yeah, you did look concerned. Like, I was bringing it up for engineering reasons. Um, yeah, so you, you duped me with my commitment to quality content. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if I can share it by the end of today's show. On today's show, where we talk about three movies of a similar genre bi-weekly, we are talking about... Uh, you know, couples falling in love and bridging all kinds of obstacles through dance. Noah, what are we reviewing today? We are reviewing Save the Last Dance. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a normal way to accent that title. Is it? What did I s- save, save the last dance? Save the last dance. Save the, this fall, save the last dance. <laughs> um, and we're doing, of course, the weird classic that is dirty dancing yeah and then to round it out um the prelude to both one of i would say hollywood's most successful at least on social media marriages and getting channing tatum cast in magic mike is step up nicely said yes so we're talking about uh those three couples dance movies in a little while we're going to be joined by meryl cates to talk about the uh the verisimilitude and the the quality of actors dancing in these movies. Which one are we going to talk about first, Noah? Why don't we go in chronological order? So 1987's Dirty Dancing. That's the one. Okay. I mean, this is a, a classic, which I had not seen before. Interesting. What's So you have no relationship to this movie. I had no context for when Nobody Puts Baby in a Corner was going to happen in the movie. I knew there was a lift. Um, I knew the that Jerry Orbach was in it. I was coming in pretty cold. Yeah, I, I saw this movie some years ago. I don't remember in what context, but my big takeaway was like essentially what you've said, having not seen the movie. I've and seen like, it now. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, what you knew going oh, in okay. is not much better than I think what I got out of it, having seen it maybe 10 years ago. Um, cause I remembered it being like boring and weird. And like afterwards I was like, oh, that's the, the song from the Sandals Resorts commercials. <laughs> yeah. And isn't, uh, Swayze beautiful. Why don't you synopsize sure. for us? So, uh, uh, baby houseman, uh, Francis in quotes, baby houseman, the ladybird of her time, uh, goes. To- Not that we know of. <laughs> right. Yeah. Dancing's not one of your stronger subjects, Jennifer Grey. Um, she, in the summer of 1963, 
goes up to it's this the summer of 63 goes up to this camp in the Catskills with her family her doctor father her housewife mother and her just like airhead sister um but she, and she already sort of has these kind of like she's concerned about the burgeoning conflict in Vietnam and she's like thinking about joining the Peace Corps but the only voiceover of the film tells us that this was before that stuff fully uh, came into view for her um, and this camp is a strange camp it's a it's a resort that is not like st- is it strictly a dance camp or is just the only thing or is dancing just the main event that's one of my initial questions I think the husbands like come up to gamble and to like, or get rid of their wives, yeah. I think is the two options. And then the women, the, the rest of the programming is designed to like keep the women occupied. So I think like dancing is like a big component of it in this like very sexist and classist sort sure. of portrayal of this. Yeah. Sort of Catskills resort. Uh, yeah. And so baby is, um, innocent, naive. This is a real like summer classic summer awakening movie. Um, and very quickly when he just like appears walking through the dining room with the shades in his leather jacket, the person who will facilitate her awakening is, uh, Johnny Castle played by Patrick Swayze. He's sort of your classic, like greaser. It's like, he's playing back to his role in the outsiders a little bit. Um, but with more black, um, more black attire, but the same, same haircut, (laughs) same posturing. Um, and so these two, start your classic divided by class forbidden love story it's also just because the uh the dance instructors aren't supposed to sleep with the clientele so or are they are we'll they? get into it yeah um, <laughs> but yeah these two start uh a love story of our time facilitated by dance when uh baby fills in for a friend of patrick swayze's who uh has to get like a shady abortion which baby then tries to bring in her father to uh to get the money for and then to help with the fallout of it um so that also sort of like ups the forbidden kind of misunderstanding here as jerry orbach's like patrick swayze did you uh get this woman pregnant and then make her have an abortion uh and then there's a climactic dance scene and i think we're on our way i'm not sure who you are but I don't want you to have anything to do with those people again. Baby, I don't see you running up to daddy telling him I'm your guy. Well, with my father, it's complicated. I will tell him. I, I don't believe you, baby. She shows him all he can be. You gotta stop it now. I know what I'm doing, Penny. I'm scared of everything. Most of all, I'm scared of walking out of this room and never feeling the rest of my whole life the way I feel when I'm with you. What they learn from each other feels too good to be wrong. Let me begin with just like how if you think that that setup sounds like totally bizarre and not sustainable for the better part of two hours, you'd be wrong because there's so many like little twists and turns this movie. I mean, you get it a little bit with like, here's a movie that you remember your mom liking and like it really hangs on an illegal abortion. Right. And it's like interesting. So what am I watching here? Yeah. And you're sort of watching this like interesting like dream fantasy, if you will, for like your average, like white feminist who went to college in the seventies, who was like looking nostalgically back at 
you know, what their forebears had done. Interesting. So that's what you think Eleanor Bergston's script is doing or aim. But I think it's aware of that too. I think just the people we know who liked it, like didn't realize the deeper read to it in that, like, look at this rich Jewish question mark, white girl coming in and like getting her nose or getting her fingers dirty, like playing with the lives of the underclass uh-huh. thinking that she's like helping them. Right. And then they all live happily ever after question mark uh-huh. because like Patrick Swayze is still like not going to be employed there the following summer and probably is down to his last $20 bill. Well, yeah. And, and the contained nature of the summer is part of what I'm glad you brought up the word dr- fantasy or dream. Cause this movie has a dreamlike quality to it, especially yeah. now because you're watching something that is so, um, you know, floating amid two layers of nostalgia set in the early sixties with like burgeoning Motown is like the hot music, but with classic eighties songs in the soundtrack and even babies like fashion sense is like early sixties coming back around to eighties coming back around to now the way she is dressed is not dissimilar from like, you know, styles you would see walking down the street in July. Right. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 very like Williamsburg. Yes, so it's so, and it's just so weird—a period piece inside of what's now a period piece—and like here they are dancing to something Barry Gordy wrote one minute, and then Hungry Eyes the next, and you're like, this is—I'm just lost in an American daydream right now. Well, it comes back like a second round as a viewer. I think watching it in 2018 now, where it's like. What is this weird artifact? Yeah. Like, what was the thinking behind this? Pro- like, a movie like this would never be released today. Like, even with, even like leaving social politics aside, you just like wouldn't get a, pr- like a mainstream production company and distributor to be like, yeah, let's make this meandering story of this one summer in 1963 where like a young gay, a young girl came of age through dance. Right. With a girl, we already have Patrick Swayze attached as the good-looking and the guy from right. Red Dawn. <laughs> well, can I tell you a fun Amazon trivia? I texted you about this, yes, but of course. according to Amazon trivia, as you're like fast-forwarding through it, um, <laughs> it says um, apparently Jennifer Grey like initially didn't want to do the movie because she had such an unpleasant experience. It's an unpleasant experience with Patrick Swayze in the making of uh, Red Dawn. What was she, some kind of commie sympathizer? (laughs) Oh, my God. It takes so many strange little detours that I think make the characterization come at you from odd angles, which helps this extremely traditional story (laughs) like you know swerve its way to a real crescendo at the end and that what you're talking about where he's just like i guess i have been hired as sort of like a male escort for like these women while their husbands who like can't sat like the trophy well i think there's an understanding that like during the summers like the husbands are back in the city like having their way with their secretaries and then the women come out here to like sleep with the dance instructor yeah but his realization of like how weird that is and how he might just want to be in an actual relationship really makes him more interesting than just like 
I'm the jock and you're the Soch. Right. I think this movie also like calls back for that sort of calls back to that sort of nostalgia for this particular custom, like an American society that like has gone, you know, the way of the dodo. And it's even touched upon too, in that weird, like semi monologue that the owner has, the proprietor of the place has at the end where he's just like, people don't want to come to these little camps anymore and like cheat on their wives in the city and like have them fuck the dance instructors. Like they want to go to Europe, 28 countries in three days. And it's like, well, well, yeah, they're like, these are people looking for culture, not just like to perpetuate what is clearly like a toxic sort of agreement between the sexes. That's funny. Yeah. That's a good read on his speech, which is like oddly, but then he pivots to being like, this used to be, this was a place for families. And it's like, what sort of, what sort of world, what, what does your reality look like? And you thought this was like a place, you were, you were, you know, maintaining this, this business that was no good, really, at its core, at its heart. Didn't you feel like all of the non-dancing courtship dialogue scenes were in this movie were very strange? Every line of dialogue in this movie is totally bizarre. Every time you come out, yes, when you come out of the ecstasy of dance and like back to people trying to hold a conversation, it's like, who are these people? Well, this movie has three scenes, like three kinds of scenes. People dancing, of course. People running to tell like someone else or something or like getting there, or, like driving in a car to like have a conversation. Yeah. Then having like a weird clipped three line conversation where like she asks Jerry Orbach for like 250 bucks. And he's like, is it illegal? And she's like, no. <laughs> and he's like, I should have questioned you on that one. And he just gives her that money. Yeah. And then she like speeds back in a montage and then like gives Swayze the money and then they're like fucking dancing again because she saved the day yeah it's just these little cycles of telling somebody something that they need to get off their chest getting there and dancing yeah if you think it's unrealistic that Jennifer Grey got in mambo shape in like a week just look at the amount of running she does from cabin to cabin look at all the travel she does scene to scene yeah <laughs> that's funny um but it's also very, it can be very funny. Like the the first scene where she comes into the cabin and sees all of the staff just grinding on each other, dirty dancing. Uh, yeah, it's like when uh, Jack brings Rose down to like third class yeah. in Titanic. Yeah. And Pat- you want to go to a real party? And Patrick Swayze's like, what's she doing here? And she goes, I carried a watermelon. And he just stalks off. <laughs> And then she goes, I carried a watermelon. (laughs) The script is like inscrutable. Yeah. But it's because we have to get into it, too, that like in the context of the scene, A and B, just like as a phrase, what does nobody puts baby in the corner? Like, what does that mean? I, I mean, I know what it means, but. The movie doesn't gesture at like its broader significance. But why would it, it's not even what it means? It's like what did he mean there? Jerry Orbach is sitting like kind of keeping her like from getting out, and then like the mother is on the other side, sort of like you know attacking her with her. But they're just there to like view yeah. this spectacle, this talent show that's going on. Like that's cafeteria been, like, seating. Yeah. So then yeah, Swayze comes in. He sees the. Baby is sitting in the corner 
And he, for no <laughs> real reason, says nobody puts baby in the corner. And then, like, she slides out her chair and she gets up and they dance. That's what makes it so great. He means, of course, like, you're a big, bright, shining star. You should come up on stage and do the dance with me. But, like, apropos nothing except her literally seated there. Let's talk about the performances. Uh, go ahead. They're, I think they're wonderful. I mean, Swayze and Gray specifically. I think that this, they, well, I mean, we'll get into the other two. But their chemistry is so strangely convincing and the movie does them so gives them so many little helping hands by taking their dancing to different locales and creating moments for them that like I really believe in Jennifer Grey's evolution from like nondescript like junior in high school to like like full-fledged like expressive woman like ready for the 60s like it's it's fantastic like but how okay, let me just break this down this like a little bit. Yeah. How old do you think Swayze's supposed to be? I think he's supposed to be like twenty one and I think he's actually thirty-three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And she's like maybe in her early twenties playing seventeen. Yeah. She's twenty six. I looked it up earlier. Okay. Yeah. But isn't the message of this movie like a little bit creepy? Like, if you want to become, like, a woman by the... If you want to be the kind of girl they still call baby, but has the wherewithal to never be placed in the corner, it's to have, like, this traumatic sexual relationship with, like, one of the staff of the... Of, like, the... <laughs> no, you're overthinking it. I don't think... Like, but what is the... Why do people like this movie? Why? Specifically, why do, like, women like this movie? Like, that's what I was trying to get, because all the people I know who love it are women. Well, you can now count me among them. This movie's great. I don't know that I'd call it, like, great. If you look at them piecemeal, it's, like, weird, because we've already established this is a dreamlike movie, and if you just grab little pieces of a dream and be like, is why is this not, like, written like an airtight script? I'll grant you, it's not. But the movie, for instance, the, the scene after they've hooked up, where they're going back to dance practice and he kind of like won't leave her alone. Like he keeps leaning in to kiss her and make out and stuff. And she keeps throwing back in his face to like, this is my dance space. That's your dance space is a relationship dynamic. That's been set up in the plot and brought together with great choreography and really cool staging from Emil Ardolino that none of these other movies have like the, the illusion of this movie to me is quite holistic. It was just like so much, so weird, so quickly, so all over the place that like, yeah, it was amusing and like kind of fun, but I don't know that I felt there was method maybe to the madness. Um, and on a script level. And I think it's like, it's politics are sort of like weird and dated well, or of course maybe it's politics are dated. I just don't like how quickly, and this is going to be controversial, Chance. Yeah? I don't like how quickly Jerry Orbach goes from being daddy to Patrick Swayze sort of then becoming, like, daddy. Like, there's a weird, like, power shift that, like, never gives her really, like, agency. It's just, like, which man is in my life at this moment? 
Would you agree or disagree? I disagree. I mean, yes, she goes, and the script acknowledges that she goes from being a quote-unquote daddy's girl to being in the first like meaningful sexual relationship of her life, but she does so by participating in the act of strenuously learning dance. And really, the most iconic scene on the way to that climax is her on that gazebo bridge by herself, like completely self-actualizing. This is like, it sounds like me a couple of weeks ago trying to defend like Demi Lovato's like watchability. <laughs> it's like, you're talking about like a young woman who's trying to like, you know, fight all of her, fight off all of her demons. You know, you're really like leaning into this. Oh, don't get me wrong. The demons are coming. Like the late sixties are going, are going to arrive. She's no longer going to be called baby. Johnny's going to die in a ditch, but like, this is a fantasy movie. I agree that it's a fantasy movie, but that's where I find it sort of like offensive and dated and sort of boring and weird. Offensive and dated and sort of boring and weird. These are harsh yeah. words for like a quintessential American fantasy. I didn't like it. Wow. Chance, before you get too heated, maybe we should remind people how we rate things on this show. There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings. Good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment. Good, good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. <laughs> or more recently, Get Out and Lady Bird. That we know of yet. Good, good movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That was the best movie I've ever seen. Bad, bad is easy too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician turned actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I'll pass. Or many Nicholas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. Bad, bad movies make chance say, I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or awards bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud. Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. They're anything from flawed but charming Nancy Myers outings. I'm miraculously done being in love with you! To late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. Hey, baby, what's They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China or Stargate. It's all in the reflexes. Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says, But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth. I was going to give it a bad good, but now I'm just giving it a bad bad. Oh, I've argued a little too strenuously with you. All right. Well, this, you did. This movie's good good, and it's also... Technically, no, it's bad. Good, it's bad. Good, okay. There you go. I gotta be reasonable. Thank you. The 
And I feel like, yes, the script is weird, Noah, but like also the fact that it is so weird is what stops it from being step up, which is so... Oh, man. Step up is so right down the middle, everything you expect. What? It's incredible. And it's the weird things in this movie that make it more watchable, that defy your expectations. What about the, what about the mother not understanding that she liked dance? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so let's... Uh, cool off for a second while somebody who knows more about dance than Noah and I talks about uh, the quality of dance in these three films and uh, how it's shot. So let's go now to the conversation with Meryl Cates. Now I had the time of my life No, I never felt like this So our guest today is an arts writer out of New York. You can find her past bylines at Paris View Daily Interview Magazine and McSweeney's Internet Tendency. She's also a publicist for The Met. And today we're going to discuss a piece she wrote uh, back in the fall about dance and film for The New Yorker. Meryl Cates, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, calling in here. Um, so I don't usually have to ask this of like film critics because their interest in film is uh, usually sort of speaks for itself. But with you, could you tell us super briefly just kind of how you came to be on this beat of writing about dance and how it connects to your personal experience and working for the Med? It seems like you have a pretty cool like galaxy of dance and art related things in your life. Yeah. So um, I started dancing when I was a child and I always loved it. In fact, my mom and I laughed because she would take me to see New York City Ballet. And as a five-year-old, I much preferred Balanchine's black and white ballets with their challenging scores by composers like Stravinsky and minimal costumes to a full length like Sleeping Beauty. So I was quite the intense ballet companion in my little patent leather shoes. But um, (laughs) I went to conservatory for dance in college. And then I fell in love with writing about dance. And so as you mentioned, I also work at the Met because I guess art in some form or another is what I want to be surrounded by. Yeah. Um, So with your pretty sophisticated early tastes in dance, did you have favorite dance films as a kid? So I, I did love Dirty Dancing. Actually, one of my favorite films was The Turning Point, which um, is a movie from the 70s. Uh, Anne Bancroft, Shirley MacLaine, Mikhail Brzezhnikov. And it, it was just, I, I went through a phase of watching it, I think, every single day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, how's it hold up? I've never heard of it. I probably should have. I still, I love it. I, I just think it's such a, it's a, it's a beautiful dance film, but it's just a good story. It's, should check it out. It's excellent. Cool. Um, so, at the beginning of your piece uh, that we're going to talk about today, that was in The New Yorker, you talk about how, uh, you know, whenever actors present themselves as dancers on screen, especially if that's like maybe not their first, um, you know, artistic discipline, your sort of internal like knives come out for them. You're, ju- you're constantly judging more than you would say if just two people were talking to each other. But I'm curious for you, how do you... Uh, maybe deal with your personal kind of BS detector for dance and film when you watch maybe the three films that we're going to be talking about today? Or or is it how much do you have to suspend your disbelief to enjoy and how much of the process is not suspending your disbelief and just being a critic? Yeah, so I think I come to these films requiring a certain level of dancing to sustain the illusion for me. You know, good acting alone in a dance film just doesn't cut it for me. But Uh I I don't know that that's because 
uh, you know, coming as coming at it for, as a dance critic or a dance writer, you know, I, I think we all in a, in a certain sense are able to, when we sit down and watch a dance film, tell if it's bad dancing, you know, you don't have to be a trained dancer or know the ins and outs of dance history to feel uncomfortable when there's bad dancing. <laughs> um, uh-huh. So, you know, I think I, I feel like I'm constantly pleading. Why can't there be both a good actor slash dancer? There have been cases where there are some films there aren't. Um, But, you know, for the most part, I really enjoy dance films and there's a, I love when I can feel high spirited after watching a dance film. So I am able to suspend that to a certain extent and, and go with the flow and enjoy the film. Yeah. Um, so let's get into it. You pointed out right away, which I thought was super astute. I, I hadn't watched any some of these movies at all, but some of them in a while when I first asked you. Um, but you brought up right away that all three of them hinge on the building of a romantic relationship through uh, dance instruction. And I wonder, what's the... Do you feel like... Is there a proud history of that in in films or in musicals that I'm not remembering? There is sort of like a... Pygmalion-ish thing going on in uh, in all three of these movies. If I think about films, even classic dance films, there was always, if they were the lead characters, there was always this love dynamic. If you look at Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger movies, they were love sure. interests, but that's because he was the lead and she was the lead and their protagonists falling in love and leading to drama. And it's, it's the genre. It's, right. it's love. It's musicals. It's about feeling good. Yeah. Looking back, not one of our three films, but you know, white nights, which was out in 1985 is another dance film. And that was with Mikhail Baryshnikov, the legendary ballet dancer and Gregory Hines, the legendary tap dancer. And right. also Isabella Rossellini. And I just, found this out Helen Mirren I guess when the last oh, wow. time I had watched it I had not connected Helen Mirren to the Helen Mirren we all know now but they're you know in this film Mikhail Berzhnikov and Gregory Hines characters are dealing with life and death issues you know wanting to defect defect from the uh, Soviet Union and they come together and bond over dance and find a mutual respect in dance so there is a history of that in dance films as well which is nice Interesting. Well, and since you brought up the Barishnikov Hines and talking about maybe people coming from different genres of dance too, one of the things that all these movies do is they posit uh, a couple of them that like ballet and hip hop dancing get uh, amalgamated in a in a climactic routine. But there's all of them have this sort of polarity between uh, what's considered to be a highbrow dance and a lowbrow dance. And I wonder when you look at that theme. Does that obstacle, does that polarity, is it exaggerated by these movies? I guess, and I said this in an email to you, I, I wonder, I would think that in the 21st century that dancers and choreographers would look at dance as something more holistic or multidisciplinary. I think I think it's really exaggerated. I mean, Save the Last Dance and Step Up play with this clash of the high-low art form, and really, if we boil that down, that's ballerina versus hip-hop dancer. Right. And, isn't that really just an extension of the characters and and what the film is trying to establish with these characters? I mean, every dance form takes an immense amount of training and you can have talent in that, but then it needs nurturing and 
I think ballet traditionally has had this mystique, you know, ballerinas are this paragon of, of grace. And, and we're moving away from that a little bit with social media and documentaries where, you know, they don't have this romantic veil over them anymore. We get to see the nitty gritty. We get to see them in the studios and going through injuries and all of that. But, you know, I, I digress a little bit, you know, to go back to what you're saying about it being very multiple, uh, multidisciplinary now, you know, it definitely is. For instance, like those choreographers that you talked to in your piece um, who uh, worked on... Um like my crazy ex-girlfriend, the musical comedy television show, and and like working with Jennifer Lawrence for the upcoming Red Sparrow. Would those choreographers, would they all have a comfort level with many different kinds of dance today? I, I think they absolutely do. You know, the choreographer for my crazy ex-girlfriend, she's constantly doing different forms of dance. And, and we see that, you know, dance and artists, choreographers don't live in a bubble. This is not something new throughout history. Artists have been influenced by dance styles and other cultures and traditions and techniques. You know, in the early 1900s, Ruth St. Dennis and Ted Sean looked at other cultures and how they move. Alvin Ailey, I mean, African-American culture is expressed through his choreography. And you can even look at Jerome Robbins and West Side Story and see all the different influences there. So it's, it's not something new. It's been happening for a while. But I think dance now, choreographers especially, are very in tune to what is going on universally and looking at dance holistically and feeling all the influences they can. So, Sure, sure. Um, so who's the best... Who's the best pound for pound dancer in these three movies? If that can be answered. Hmm. Well, for me, Patrick Swayze. Nice. Good answer. I like it. <laughs> oh, good. So you agree? Sure. I mean, I don't know anything, but I, I agree that he's great. He's probably the one I enjoyed watching dance the most. But why for you? That's more important. I, I also agree. Watching him, he, he makes me comfortable. And yeah. I mean that in the best possible way, that when somebody is is really moving in a beautiful way or an artistic way, you feel confident in what they're doing. And I felt that way with him. You know, Jennifer Grey is a, is a really good dancer, too. There's that scene in the movie where they're training and, you know, the Hungry Eyes starts playing and he talks mm -hmm. to her about spaghetti arms in her frame. And, and the three of them, Penny and Baby and Johnny Castle, start dancing together. You could tell she has dance training, too, and some dance background because she's playing stiff, but her hips are moving. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Swayze... The first, just the introduction to him, like dancing in that like horseshoe of people, the first time you see him, and just the that his his heels just never touch the ground, and I think he brings that up later too. Don't let your heels touch the ground, but like, it's it's immediately pretty striking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's very very smooth. Channing yeah. Tatum and and Jenna Dewan, who are also trained dancers, they're excellent too, and and so fun to watch. I. When I watched that, rewatched that movie, um, I, I just thought they had a lot of energy and, and technically looked really good, too. You can yeah. always tell because it's it's in the hips, it's in the arms and kind of the angle of the head. And like I said, even if you're not a trained dancer, you know if something looks bad. Right. And so when you watch them, it doesn't look bad. Sure. 
Who so who's got the best like what's a what's a small thing in, in any of these people? And we can go back to Swayze if you want. Just uh, that you would notice whether I it's go back to Swayze. <laughs> please let's do that'll be the theme of this whole podcast. Much okay, as we like may it. try to talk about the other films, it all goes back to him. Um, so you know, bend of the hand or posture or some small movement. What can you point to with him where it's like this is this is a very tiny thing, but it's making the whole thing work. Anything come to mind? I think his his frame, his mm-hmm. upper body. The way that he holds his arms, that's something that comes from being trained, not something that comes from a, a crash course in dancing. Ah. So if, if I think about one striking thing, yeah, it would be the, the way that he holds his his upper body. That's so fascinating because the this is a weird like know nothing aside google that i did during the film but i kept thinking i was like how tall is that man because mm-hmm. he went the way he holds himself like you're describing you think he's about six three and he's like five nine but that has it, everything to do with his posture i think absolutely absolutely um okay enough of my ogling patrick swayze um during the movie um so what i was gonna ask you this i feel like we've talked maybe talked and emailed around this is there something else nice we could say about save the last dance because i feel like (laughs) poor julia styles and really we're going to talk about editing too but the way that movie is like edited into going constantly to the dancer's feet um in a really obvious cut just really does them no favors is there anything else in that movie you think is working before we maybe uh, enumerate what's not so when when you first contacted me about Save the Last Dance, I have such fond memories of this movie and remember enjoying it so much. Oh. And I will tell you, look, rewatching it didn't do it any favors. I bet not. So, I mean, the soundtrack is still fabulous. And oh, nice. So that has stood the test of time. But the movie itself, I mean, it is, to me, all in the editing. Yeah. I, put, I don't think the cuts between the dance double and Julia Stiles were so jarring that right. it didn't do any favors to anyone. Julia Stiles, I, I think she did as best as she could do. I think I read that she had a, a month and a half of training or she did a, a, a crash course in, in training. And it's they had her on camera dancing a lot. And mm-hmm. so to me, that completely destroyed the illusion of the entire film. And I almost couldn't get past it and, and follow the storyline at all. But if I do, I, out of the three movies, I think it, it had a, a strong plot. I can't even think about the dancing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can you contrast the editing issues uh in save the last dance with say the way that dirty dancing cuts to well frankly just like body parts to like to make a point and close-ups and like a hand and a hip and like what's going on and uh can you contrast the editing quality a little bit there from a dance perspective well the camera and and the editing it's 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 everything. And that's why Gene Kelly and, and Bob Fosse, they wanted to direct their dance scenes. And that makes complete sense because great choreography can be destroyed by shooting it incorrectly. So even when I think about if I watch videos of actual performances on stage, 
sometimes it cracks me up the shot that they decide to land on. You know, there's moments in dance when, when you, you want to focus on the feet and then there's other moments in dance where you want to focus on the big picture. Mm. So I think in something like save the last dance, those jarring shots between the feet to the entire body, just, they don't work. But in situations like dirty dancing, where you have two really great dancers and they do show close-ups on, on the frame, it almost adds to, in that film, the intimacy of, of dancing together. And not even from a romantic perspective, just how intimate dancing can be when you mesh so well with your partner. So, uh, turning point white nights, you mentioned any, I'll get you out of here on this one, Meryl, any other, uh, maybe, uh, contemporary, uh, films that you think, like, if you want to see really well executed dancing by an actor, go here, anything else come to mind? Well, I, I was a fan of center stage, although I haven't watched it in a little while. So that was a good fun one because these, these three movies, especially step up. Um, they're, they're all about fun, fun dancing. You you feel pretty good when the movie is done. And, And I always felt that way about center stage. And then if you really want to see some great dance films, you can go back in time a little bit and check out Gene Kelly and yeah. singing in the rain. I mean, that good morning, every time I watch it, I think uh, I can go about my day today. <laughs> like sure. I'll hum it to myself in the morning. Um, swing time with Ginger uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. All those movies are, are fantastic. What a good singing in the rain inspired mantra. That's a good, everyone should try starting their day that way. I love it. <laughs> it's the goal. <laughs> All right. Well, Meryl, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I owe it all to you. Okay, so Save the Last Dance is uh, Julia Stiles and Sean Patrick Thomas. It's uh, written by Dwayne Adler, who also wrote Step Up, right? And that's true. Uh, and directed by Thomas Carter, who... Um, has looking at his IMDb has maybe directed more television than anyone who's ever worked in the industry. Uh, yeah, he's made a lot of he's done like a lot of projects. Yes. Uh, you want to sum- summarize this one? Sure. Um, told in excruciating uh, flashback. It's <laughs> the only way. The to movie. It. <laughs> the movie sets up with Julia Stiles sitting on this train headed from somewhere that's not Chicago. <laughs> To Chicago. I think rural Iowa, maybe. Whatever. And, yeah, and she's going to live with her father because her beloved mother, who was speeding towards her audition for Juilliard, got into a car accident and died. And I guess it made the most sense to give her to this father who seems to have no have had no contact with her for the better part of 17 years and yeah live with him and she's transported from her like very prim and proper catholic school to a predominantly black urban high school on the south side yeah on the south side of chicago and the hilarity ensues i don't know if i would call it hilarity (laughs) 
yeah, that's that's basically the movie. And then it, they dance at some point. <laughs> well, Sean uh, Derek, played by Sean Patrick Thomas, starts to like teach her hip hop steps. Um, yeah. For no real reason other than so they can dance together and spend time together and look good at the club. I guess it was pretty tough leaving all your friends, having to say all those goodbyes. Cool outfit. Slamming. Slamming outfit. Oh. Sarah, how you get your legs to twist like that? I used to dance. You used to dance? It's really not a big deal. I think it is. You should hit steps with us tomorrow night. Steps ain't no square dance. It's all right. I dance in circles, probably around you. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and then they they dance, and there's drama, and there's there's some urban crime, um, right? And she chooses to return to dance, even though she swore off ballet the the day her mother died. That's right, because she blames herself for her mother's death. Another excruciating moment. <laughs> I think it's just an excruciating element of this film, right? the like fly away home sort of setup to this one. <laughs> like if Jeff Daniels had been the father, like this would have been a totally, I think a, a far superior film. Yeah. The problem with, I mean, so all of these movies have like, not, maybe not ensemble cast, but big cast that people have to like, the main yeah. people have to bounce off. Right. Yeah. And I think, and the first real performance of Carrie Washington we should mention. That's right. And I think that Carrie Washington... I don't think she's very good in it, but <laughs> we can keep going. I think she has the only meaningful supporting performance or She's in the, the only movie. arc. Well, because Julia Stiles can only do defensive, so they couldn't give her like a whole lot to do. That's a problem with you. So we kind of threw down about Julia Stiles in our 10 Things I Hate About You episode, and I kind of defended her when you... When you um, tried to indict her by being like this works because she has she behaves like a high schooler the way she postures the way she like goes but that's like oh that's a one-trick pony oh i know that's what i'm saying is that like in that movie it works because of the script and like the sort of the devon like the female equivalent of devon sawa or something for me who's that he's like the male lead in the um uh the one where they all die because Final they Destination? like. Final Destination? Yes. Okay. And he's also in uh, Slackers. Okay. But unlike in a thing where, in a movie like 10 Things I Hate About You, where the, you know, adaptation and the mechanics of the plot, like, help her. In this movie, it's just like human interaction after human interaction where she's just like, so why do you do that? Don't ask me questions. <laughs> and it's terrible. Like, it's very grating. Right. And her... What's the three names of her her dance partner and on-screen co-star? Sean Patrick Thomas. Sean Patrick Thomas. Yeah. He's not that, like, dynamic of an actor either. Again, like, no. we saw him in, like, two things. It was, like, this and um, Cruel Intentions. Right. Oh, and he was in the, uh, the Halloween resurrection with Buster Rhymes where they go in the house. <laughs> I would love to do it. If I did a movie, I, I think I would insist that it had Buster Rhymes in it. Sure. As the lead, he is first billed in that movie, I believe. That's incredible. I've never seen that. It's really fucked up, and I never want to watch it again. <laughs> um, yeah, Sean Patrick Thomas uh, has a has a goodness to him, but like he's not very interesting to watch. No. 
And I think that like, what do you think about the dancing? I wasn't like impressed by that. They're all like, whoa, look at the weird like leg thing she did. And it's like, she had her legs like perpendicular on like a thing. Like, it's not that. Right. Um, like, I don't think that either of them are that skilled at dancing. No. No. And it's not charming like Ryan Gosling in La La Land or something. Can I put forward like a theory about capturing dance in these movies? Please. So I kind of think about them as a somebody who really likes boxing movies and is like super critical of the like the boxing sequences. What really when you shoot boxing in film, you're not trying to recreate what it's like to like watch an actual boxing match. You're trying to create moments, right? Really, right. any sports movie this could apply to. It's not really like you're you're not photographing a game on video. You're trying to create moments. And what I think the genius of Emilio, the Dirty Dancing director, is cutting to hands and hips and things and shirt off at exactly the right time to stop you from looking at dance broadly. And I think Thomas Carter just has no such imagination. So these people who can't really dance are on an island in this movie. Yeah. And then they're not like that good to be convinced. Right. It's like she dances adequately. Yeah. And then she dances adequately in a different style. Yeah. And then she's like, you know, unofficially chance. Uh, this movie's not that believable. <laughs> that is one of the all time funniest like reactions, <laughs> mind change scenes of all time. Oh, it's pretty good. Like it would You'll be, never get into Juilliard. Wait, do a little hip hop. I've changed the not only my decision about yeah. you as a dancer, but just my whole philosophy to living my life. Miss <laughs> Johnson, we haven't the time for this interruption. Uh, welcome to Juilliard. <laughs> you want to like re-edit that last scene with me and put in like the reaction shots from... Uh, First Avenue when people are watching Prince play Purple Rain. Like, it's that level of like, oh my god, I feel very different about this person. I feel like there's definitely a few, like, unmind facial gifts in this movie. (laughs) Very unmind. (laughs) They might be fools. Can we talk about Bad Dad? I mean, dads are big in this. Uh, Or family people. Yeah, Terry Kinney is his name. He's he's like one of the big dudes with um, Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago, where the movie's set. Even though Amazon trivia, uh, it was originally scripted to be in Baltimore. Like step up. Oh, nice. Um, well, this movie really could have used uh, like a Tracy Letts or a Michael Shannon if we're going with canonical Chicago theater actors, because right? Terry Kinney does not want to be here, um, and he's maybe. He's either acting too hard to make an impression as like a a dad or he's just like not acting. I don't know. Well, like it's tough to say like where him not giving a fuck, like the line <laughs> exactly. separates like him acting like the dad doesn't give a fuck or like he as an actor yeah. hates being here but like desperately needs the money. Um do you want to talk a little bit more about your read on cuz this movie by positing that dance brings people of different races together. It's maybe the most dramatic bridge or the most ambitious bridge crossed in any of these three. Um, I think the movie doesn't have a great grip on that bridge, though. There's one great scene with Carrie Washington where she's like, 
this is what we all we like you but this is what we all think of you and this other girl who we're all supposed to not like who you got in a fight with because you stole Derek like we all do kind of agree with her you are a tourist here and that's a good scene but nothing else in the movies on that level I don't think I don't know that it's a good scene I think it's an out of place scene I think like there's it like is saying that enough for the MTV movie. It should be sure. to like not yeah. need that scene. You know, oh, the okay. fact that it, it attempts to sort of make it that like makes it feel sort of like in that again, like white feminist sort of fantasy world of like freedom writers yeah. or, you know, that kind of thing is I think the movie sort of, it argues at the end of the day, her coming into their lives made their lives better. It's boring too. I, I, Even if you throw away all like, the <laughs> political stuff that I'm yammering on about, it's like not very good. Right. I Julia Stiles is not a compelling lead. No. Sean Patrick Wilson uh, <laughs> is not a very good co-star. No. I think Carrie Washington is totally wasted. It should just be a movie about her. Probably. Yeah. Like, why isn't it just a movie about her? Why does it have to be, like, framed with this, like, stranger in a strange land, parenthetically, like, white savior movie and, like, sort of trope? Sure. Why why can't Carrie Washington, with her child, like, want to be? I think there's, like, good moves by this movie. Sure. Like, the the weird relationship that Carrie Washington has with her child and, like, her baby daddy, like, that's, I think, dynamic. Mm -hmm. But, like, the story that, like, the pitch for it is, like, not very dynamic. Right. Agreed. It's a very simple... If anything, there were beats I thought for sure were coming that didn't come. Like, her Iowa friend who was just, like, let's pray to awesome God in the first 30 seconds. I was like, that girl's coming to Chicago. She's going to be super racist in front of all her new friends. Oh, there was definitely a scene like that in the script, if not, like, one of the cuts of the movie. How about... Can I pitch you another one I was surprised didn't happen? Let's hear it. How does Derek not bond with her white dad over jazz records? I thought for sure. Ooh, nice. But then she's like, do you like jazz? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh, how dare this movie not give me every predictable scene I want? What if dad had just like portraits of like black dancers like on the walls, like in uh, Get Out or something? (laughs) Or like that episode (laughs) of Atlanta where they go to the house with the white guy who collects artifacts. Um, yeah, I feel, I guess my only reservation about yelling bad, bad is just that I feel kind of bad for the cast. I think this, I think the movie kind of embarrasses them and I think it's like the dance that does it, but it is bad, bad, no doubt. I think that this movie was just like a necessary throat clearing for what is ultimately a pretty good movie for Dwayne, the screenwriter. Oh yeah. Step up, which we should get to now. Yeah, but I don't think that this is, like, a good movie or, like, that watchable of a movie. So I'm going to go bad, bad. It's an easy bad, bad, for sure. Um, Yeah, I think it's weird that you need to fine-tune a concept this simple, but apparently (laughs) Dwayne did. Because I think by the time you get to step up, he's... It's so formulaic, but, like, the formula is firing at all the right points, I think. It's so formulaic, and it's also just, like, it feels like much safer territory, just sort of, like, racially, for maybe a a guy named Dwayne. (laughs) A white guy named Dwayne. 
a white guy named Dwayne who's writing about like yeah well, this is a Dwayne Reed dancing spelling. in urban settings it's Dwayne Reed spelling not Dwayne Wade spelling right um, <laughs> Dwayne Reed he's also gotten actors who can dance this time around really dance oh my god and can they dance and they're also I'm just gonna be shallow here and I'm saying what was missing from um, Save the Last Dance is they needed to be like more attractive people mm, mm-hmm. like both Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Grey, uh, Channing Tatum, and his, you know, soon-to-be wife. Um, Jenna Duan. They're so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Everyone in this movie is beautiful. So, yeah, this movie's uh, really similar to the others. I suppose the slight tweak in the setup is that Channing Tatum, as Tyler Gage, is hanging out with his, his good friend, Matt. What a douchey name. Oh, it's very douchey. But didn't you kind of think that Channing Tatum was douchey when you first encountered him? In this movie? He's a real, he's like a real piece of shit. Like through the first 10, 15 minutes. I meant like in your life minutes. as a pop culture consumer too. I saw him first in Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Oh, that's a very, which in, he plays, very indie way to see him. It, it was. But it, he plays the same character except this guy can dance. Yeah. So it's an interesting way, like, his career he's is just scary like, yes. in Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. He's scary in this movie, too, but, like, in a sexy, smoldering <laughs> sort of way. I think Channing Tatum has only gotten, like, better looking, more relatable, and has become quite a good actor. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a little bit of range on him. Sure. It's I, like a Bruce Willis, maybe. It's pretty raw talent uh, in 2006's Step Up, I would say. Yeah, he just sort of, like, utters things. Yeah. He just sort of says them under his breath. He's like, can we get back to the dancing? He, I think some of his lines are, can we, well, you didn't say we weren't going to dance. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Mac and Skinny, his his crew of like an older brother and younger his brother. His compatriots. His compatriots, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, they like to go out, uh, they like to hang out together and steal the occasional car, play the occasional bit of basketball. Mac does most of the playing. You'll notice the movie. I think the dancing is quite good in this movie, but I love how it cuts every time Channing Tatum passes the basketball. He never dribbles or shoots. He's a fool with a basketball. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they get into some trouble, but, like, not too much trouble. They're just kind of, like, roaming the streets. You find out quickly that... I mean, they're committing, like, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> but doesn't, doesn't the movie it make seems it like seem like that's they're... just, like, Wednesday? I think their occupation is stealing cars. But I think the movie is just like, they play a little ball, they steal a car. They're not like professional I, car I thieves. knew that the, the car theft was going to come back to bite them in the ass. And lo, it did. But it's like a hobby. They're not like Memphis Reigns out there. Oh, no. They're not like developing like <laughs> reputations within like the car stealing industry no. by any means. <laughs> They're like the McDonald's. If they were doing something legal, they'd be like flipping burgers or something. They do not have any laser cut keys. Um, oh my God, the laser cut keys. That's right. That's my favorite, like, I think, obstacle in Gone in 60 Seconds was the laser cut keys. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So they're just like roughhousing around, being kids. They're, they're, I don't know. They Yes, they're doing like committing felonies but they're very like innocent about it relatively speaking wouldn't you say 
I, as a former theater kid, I was like pretty offended yeah. by like the infraction that is the inciting incident to this movie. Yeah. So what happens is they, for no real reason, uh, break into this art school in Baltimore and are like traipsing around after hours and then quickly, you know, uh, break everything on the stage, like all their Shakespearean set pieces. Um, yeah, they commit like what twenty thousand dollars worth of damage. That's right. Uh, and Tyler gives himself up, and he's the only one who gets caught. Um, sentenced to two hundred hours of community service. The punishment fits the crime, so you've got to go back to this art school, Tyler, and uh, do your time there, mopping floors and taking out the trash. All rise. Tyler Gage, I see you've been in this courtroom before. I'm giving you two hundred hours community service. Here you go. <laughs> Um, hello, who is that? Hey. Love a man in a uniform. Damn, they look like the girls from the candy shop video. They don't dance like What I like the most about Step Up, I think in comparison to the other three, or the other two movies, is that I feel as though Nora has a lot of agency and has like her own thing. Like, this movie's not solely about Channing Tatum. It's very true. But it's enough about Channing Tatum that it's not solely about her either, which is, like, an interesting, like, protagonist-antagonist sort of dialogue there. But what you end up having is almost two parallel narratives that bump up into each other, you know, with these dances, which is interesting to me. Whereas, like, you know, Dirty Dancing has no, like, real scenes where... Um, Gray is not seeing like what he's doing. Mm -hmm. There's not much from his POV. And even in um, Saves the Last Dance, it's like mostly her and not Sean Patrick Thomas. Mm -hmm. You got that right. Um, Yeah, I would say that both Tatum and the movie work pretty honorably in service to what is her thing. It's her capstone project. And for a large part of the climactic number, he is in the back as just another like backup dancer. Um, And I think that's a nice touch. I think it's just like a nice place to be coming from when you're building characters that way and building story around stuff. Like it's not really a movie about him doing his probation and doing his community service. It's really a story about her putting together her final like senior thesis. Yeah. Which is this dance. And then he just becomes an object of sort of necessity. Yeah. It's more, you're right. It's more a movie about, work and a sense of purpose and a relationship that comes out of uh, a sense of purpose that uh, changes but doesn't like totally change course for her and really becomes a track for him but I think that on a cinematic level um, and I mean you know it was a corny thing to say about Dirty Dancing being magical but I think the sense of work and not like erotic temporary fantasy like keeps this movie from being as fun as Dirty Dancing. See, I think they're all female fantasy movies. What's interesting about this one is that the fantasy doesn't end up with, like, getting the guy. The getting the guy thing is almost a byproduct of, like, getting the thing. Yeah. 
Whereas the other ones were like, who gives a shit about Juilliard? The audition's just something framing this story. Mm-hmm. This one, it's all about like the stakes because she's ready to kick him out of the of the dance because of the other guy showing up. Right. It's not about her love for him. And he's the one who sort of gets cast aside. It's almost like this flipped sort of Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan thing where it's like the other way around. And I really kind of like that. I won't argue with you that it's politics are the soundest of the three. I just don't think that's anywhere as... If anything, admirable, I would say. Sure. And I think it's sort of a fresh look at both movies like these and the getting together romantic situational. Yeah, I, but I, I think it just lacks spark. I had I totally disagree with you. Did you... I felt like a, a, a just, you know, my stomach got upset when the the friend and the other girl who's dating the guy who she saw like cheating or whatever Miles and Lucy are the characters Miles and Lucy are like talking and Lucy comes over or he's doing his his DJ stuff and Lucy comes over and she's like hey so you didn't tell anybody that we like pretty obviously saw my boyfriend making out with this other chick right and he's like nah that's your business but like if it was well, like any part of my business, I th- think it would be like pretty bad that you get like treat yourself this way and that you let yourself get treated this way by this man. But I'm just saying, and then he like bumps her a little bit and walks away. That was like, it felt good to me. Sure. There was a spark there. There's these like, I think this movie has those little like cutting moments where, you know, there is something interesting going on by some pretty dynamic, both like physical actors and like you said, people who will like grow up mostly Tatum to like be someone with a little bit more depth. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think it's pretty, I just think it's pretty down the middle. I think another thing it lacks is the, why don't we go to, why don't we go like train to dance on that log or, you know what lifts are easier in the water or here's where we dance to, you wanted like a situational sort of dance when they're in the pool or in like the forest. Absolutely, it doesn't need the forest. It's in Baltimore. I, they go up to the roof. I, and they have they the great view. The, they, come on, they go up in that roof and they dance on the they roof. The, they literally dance on the roof. But it's no, it's no different. There's no, there are no little missions. What you said was good about Dirty Dancing is they're like, now we go over here and you see this dance thing in a different context. So it'll really, of course, there are little missions. Oh. Like you said, they like they'll steal a car and then that gets like riled up again. Those are plot devices. I'm talking about dance oriented. I think the relationship missions. between the the two to, between Channing Tatum and his friend. What's the friend's name? Mac. The relationship between Ty and Mac is like a pretty interesting male friendship where Mac like gets upset that he's been like forsaken by this this threatening girl who goes to this like rich girl school, which does not turn out to be the case. Well, I guess she's probably like a little rich. Yeah, I think she's paying tuition. But yeah, but I think it's an interesting way to look at that sort of because like in Save the Last Dance, it's more about like, you know, the code of the street sort of dictates, you know, their code of conduct. Whereas in this one, it, it feels like a more of an emotionally written kind of movie where it's it's don't do this because I have no other future. It's don't do this because like you're my pal. So. I don't know. I thought this one of the three, I think I was most sort of with it for this one. 
Yeah, I think this one, I, I'll, I should shout out too. I mean, Ann Fletcher's camp, she does some very cool things. Um, I don't think they're quite as like stagey as the camera work in Dirty Dancing, but I think some of the mirroring where the camera plays the studio mirror and you see them try to do the same thing and get better at it is pretty cool. I think the the dance that is choreographed between like foster brother and foster sister where the camera's like catty corner to the yard and they're like mirroring each other is very cool. Um, and I think even the final dance number too, which all these movies have like this one to me seemed like it required the most proficiency in contemporary dance for sure. And I was sort of like monitoring how long the takes were and I think both of those people are doing the dance. All the people on stage are doing the dance. I agree. And I think that to me is like sort of the, the, the showmanship of it, which I didn't feel the other movies, which clearly like cut away to like feet and things or like they allowed the dance to be sort of like untethered, shall we say. This one is like these people who started as like, as you said, just sort of agile and mobile and like sort of dancing in a fast sort of spastic way to becoming like a person that deans of colleges and like directors of com- of dance companies are introducing themselves to. And that to me is more interesting than how this, like, I don't know this white girl's going to get by in the ghetto. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's no question. This movie's better than save the last dance. I keep comparing it to dirty dancing. I don't think this movie creates moments meant to emotionally or physically hit you in the same way that Dirty Dancing does. I think that this movie sets the table, as you said, for Magic Mike, but Magic Mike, because of the nature of like stripper routines, the cinematography is like, they're going to do this and you're going to feel something. And this movie is more like, look at how well they can dance. It's a little too exhibitionist and not like cinema. See, that's the thing about, I didn't find any of them. I didn't find the music though in um, Dirty Dancing like the same. Like when I was squatting on the couch earlier watching, say, uh, watching Step Up, like I was like bopping along. Like, and I feel like that's what you, that should be your litmus test for like if these movies are like doing what they're supposed to be doing. Hungry Eyes? Do you love me now that I can dance? Time of Our Lives? Come on. I'm not just like sitting there bopping along to Time of Our Lives. I was bopping along to whatever they were playing. Hmm. Whatever the guy with the laptop and the funny fedoras. He had some great fedoras, the DJ guy. Sure. You've got a Miles? Miles, yeah. If you're in the production if you're in the production wing of the art school, you'd better have a fedora or two up your sleeve. Oh, absolutely. Alright, so Hold. what are you rating this? Good, good. I think it is uh good bad. It's just not Nothing is surprising. It like didn't challenge me or my expectations in any way. Um, I think it's a good movie, but I think it's, I wouldn't watch it again. I thought this one was pretty fun. I liked it. All right. Real quick. Can we hand out an award for like a uh, worst person who doesn't understand these couples and that dancing is important to them? You down to do that? Do it. Yeah, do it. I guess mine is probably a two way tie. From Dirty Dancing, there's Robbie the waiter who literally pulls out a copy of Ayn Rand's Fountainhead as if to say, I don't give a shit about this girl who's about to go get this dangerous abortion. 
And then her sister is like, I really like Robbie. And it's really too bad that she's too dumb for baby just to be like, he reads, he has a copy of Ayn Rand in his pocket. Like she's too dumb to have that tip her off. Um, but also sure. the scene where after, you know, they're doing the famous miming and Swayze's on the floor and the grandson of Max Kellerman comes in and he's just like, oh, I could teach you how to cha-cha is like one of the most painful bits of like dramatic irony I've seen in a while. That's funny. Um, I mean, I think the dad from Saves the Last Dance like doesn't get it. Oh, he doesn't get it at all. No, I think he definitely doesn't get it more than more, more than most. Sure. I mean, and the mom, she like admits that she doesn't get it in uh, Step Up. She's a fool for not getting it. It's it's like borderline abusive that she didn't understand like her daughter's greatest passion. That she apparently works on to the point of exhaustion every single day. Every single day. You know what else I got to shout out? Jenna Duan's array of outfits for basically dancing alone day after day is hilarious. Oh yeah. Every I mean, day she, she puts... has a wildly different outfit with like one day it's like a massive wool scarf and the other day, next day yeah. it's just like no pants is the choice today. Right. Yeah. If we're talking real life here, it's probably like alternating pairs of sweatpants or something. Right. Or just a blink of black leotard. Right. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, they're all very, like, great, though. And his outfits are great, too. Channing's? Oh, yeah. He really can, like, hang a big T-shirt on his frame. <laughs> that's really true. I can't pull like, that Like, that's out. his... Yeah, no, I nor can I. But I wish I could. I wish I had the broad shoulders to pull you off just, a, like, a, a comically large T-shirt. Broad shoulders, long torso, I think, is what does it. And he and he has one of those. Congrats. This, uh, you know, more fighting than was expected. But when you bring two different uh, two different styles of a discipline like this, they're gonna crash and eventually mingle into a nice podcast episode. Do we get into podcast Juilliard, Noah? No, I can say off the record, no. <laughs> what about now? Oh, definitely now. <laughs> Thank you. In very all good. my years. You're a very good bit partner. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Uh, oh, I well, saw your good bit on the internet earlier today where it was just like, you know, we've written the book on good podcasting. <laughs> Have you met Noah? He's written the book on bad, dirty dancing takes. <laughs> when I think dirt, like bad, dirty dancing takes, I think Noah. Um. Well, thank you kindly to Meryl Cates for coming on the show and talking to us about how well these actors actually dance because sometimes it takes an expert eye. It's was, it was a fun convo. Um, keep up with her work and keep up with ours at berealpodcast.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe to and rate the show. Tell your buds if they like dance movies or movies in general. This is uh, many happy returns. Come back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we can't wait to do more and we're not letting up. We shan't. We've had the time of our lives. Right. <laughs> I owe it all to you. I'd like to thank you for this uh, outro music idea. And I'll see you next time, buddy.